All right. How many of you guys are awake this morning? Yeah. We want to welcome both of our campuses this morning here at our Noonan campus. Y'all give the LaGrange campus a big round of applause. And I want our LaGrange campus to give us a loud shout right now all the way from LaGrange, Georgia. It's exciting to be able to be at both places at one time. Let me tell you, God's doing an amazing work in the city of LaGrange. I'm so thankful for Pete Shoger and our staff team down there. And let me tell you what I'm excited about. I'm excited about everybody who volunteers at any of our campuses at Southcrest Church. I absolutely love the people who are willing to come and shake a hand, who are willing to come be an usher, who are willing to come work our parking lots. We got kids serving in our, ne- our people, not kids serving, we got adults serving, they're like kids, in our next gen areas. I love our church because our church understands that membership means ministry. And so I want to thank you guys. This is going to be an awesome day. I've felt all along like this message in this part of the series was really going to be the capstone message. And I just believe that God has such a strong word for us today that when we jump into it, we kind of need to just hold on for a second. So look at your neighbor real quick at both of our campuses, and I just want you to say, hold on, okay? Hold on. It's going to get crazy over the next few minutes. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Romans chapter 8. We're in a series called Breaking Bad. And some of you go, good, because the person I brought that's sitting beside of me, they need to break their bad, okay? Well, the truth is, we're talking about you and I, we're talking about every single person in this room, everyone in this room, if you're a Christ follower, Jesus lives in you, but he wants to take you, and he wants to transform you, and he wants to break the bad, because he wants to bring who he is so that the world can see Jesus through our lives. Today, we're going to jump into the the message that I think really will define this whole series. And the name of the message is called The Power to Choose. Now, I want to bring up this point because it's almost that time of the year when you buy Christmas gifts. And parents, you know, some of you have the gift of putting Christmas gifts together. Some of us do not have that. We struggle in that area of our life. But uh, I remember this very vividly that uh, there was a season in my life that we were buying lots of furniture as a young couple. And we would do the thing that most young couples do. We would go to this store called Ikea, okay? That's how you say it in Georgia, Ikea. Hey, let's go down to Ikea, okay? So we'd go down to Ikea, and we would buy this, and we would bring it home, and we would bust the box open, and we were like, wow, man, we got this whole kitchen set for like 18 bucks. And we break the thing out. And we break the cards out and everything else, and we break the instructions out, and they give you this tool. It's this little Allen wrench, right? Because everything at Ikea goes together with one wrench. And we're starting to put stuff together, and we're looking at the different screws and the different pieces. And, man, we're just working on it, and we're working on it, and we're working on it. And all of a sudden, in the instruction book, you go from, like, 1A to 1B to 1C to 1D, and then you turn the page, and it's like 2A, 2B, 2C, and suddenly it starts to look like something, but all of a sudden you get to step nine, and you realize that somebody in the wickedness of their soul from Ikea somewhere in Sweden packed a box that had a missing part, and it's at that moment that you lose your Christianity, right? Right? I mean, your faith just goes out the door. I mean, you look at your wife and you say, honey, this was supposed to be a cabinet. And this is no longer going to be a cabinet. This will now be a shelf, okay? This will be a doghouse. I mean, I don't know what this is. So what do you do? You get desperate because, guys, we don't want to ever admit we're wrong, right? We don't want to ever admit we can't fix anything. So that's why this guy years ago created this incredible amazing product for the people who have lost pieces and things they put together called duct tape. Yeah, 
Give it up for duct tape today, right? Duct tape is our salvation because what we do is we come in and we try to duct tape that thing together. So your friends come over and they're like, oh, that's a beautiful cabinet you have. And they begin to lean on it. You're like, no, 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 no. Don't, don't touch the furniture, all right? It's like, whoa, what's wrong with you? A germaphobe? No, man, we're just Ikea people, okay? And uh, that's how we live our Christian lives. We live our Christian lives many times forgetting that there's a missing part, and we get frustrated. And so the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how Jesus paid for the penalty of our sin and how the power of sin has been broken. And we know that Jesus, according to last week, even in our struggle, is our deliverer. But there's a missing point and there's a missing piece to most of our Christian faith. And we're going to talk about that today. If you look in Romans chapter 8, the head of the the area there that you know as the, the title kind of of that section of Scripture, it says these words. It says, living by the Spirit. And when you read that in Scripture, you're like, wow, man, we're going to talk about the Spirit. Now, for some people in this room, the Spirit scares us to death, right? We just came out of Halloween, and we just came out of Trunk or Treat and all this other stuff, and we're like, man, that's like scary stuff. And maybe you grew up in a church where when people talked about the Spirit, like they did weird things. Maybe they did cartwheels, or they jumped pews, or they handled snakes, or they kissed grandmas, or whatever. They did, but the truth is, we can't live the Christian life without the Spirit, and for most Christians, the Spirit is the missing element that activates the life that we've talked about the last two weeks. If we're going to break the bad, if Jesus is going to break through in our lives and we're going to understand this truth and we're going to put it into practice, it's going to happen through the Spirit. So it's kind of like this. The Spirit is like the engine that drives the car, now, some of you go, okay, that's such a silly illustration. But the truth is this. In our world, we are enamored more by the wheels than we are the engine. Let me show you a picture on the screen real quick. I saw this the other day. I thought, this is proof that some people are more enamored with the wheels than they are the engine. In fact, look at this next picture real quick. I used to drive this car in high school. Um, Wow. Now that is some wheels. Now here's the crazy thing. I've seen people with wheels like that. They are on the side of the road and their car is broken down, but man, their wheels look really, really good. And you know what? As Christians, unless we understand that it's the Holy Spirit that works inside of us to activate this breaking bad thing in our life so that we can be free, we're like a car that just has pretty wheels. And we don't understand it's the engine that drives us. It's the missing piece of the Christian life that we need to understand. So before we jump into this passage in Romans 8, I want to tell you a quick story. You know, the Bible tells us some amazing things about when the Holy Spirit came to the earth. And, that, and what it tells us is when, when Jesus died and he ascended to the Father, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descended. We call that the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And when that happened... Some radical things begin to happen in some people's lives, okay? Like, y'all remember the story of Peter, right? Peter was this guy who said, Jesus, I'll never desert you. And he, like, totally deserted Jesus. I mean, he totally turned his back on him. He unfriended him on Facebook. It was so bad, okay? And he turned his back on him. And basically, you know, Jesus reinstated him at the end of John. But in Acts chapter 2, Peter went from being a guy who was a denier to this incredibly anointed amazing preacher. Like from a total failure 
to a guy who got totally lit up. Let me tell you another story. There, there's another piece there in Acts chapter 2. There's this group of guys, and they were disciples, and they were waiting around because Jesus said, I want you to wait here till the Spirit comes. And so Jesus left, and they're like, what do we do now? And he said, you wait. And when the Spirit comes, you're going to figure it out because that's going to change everything. And so these disciples went from just being followers to fanatics. They literally turned the world upside down. Paul, a guy who was a Christian killer, went because of the Holy Spirit of God, meeting Jesus, became the greatest missionary that ever walked on the planet. You see, I look at Acts chapter 2, and I look at our lives, and I say, what's the difference there? I mean, were they really much different than us? You say, well, it was Peter. He walked around with an aura. No, man, he walked around cocky. Half the time he had his foot in his mouth. The difference was the Holy Spirit of God that had descended on their life. And when they began to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, something changed. They went from being nominal to being radical. Last week we talked about Romans 7 and we talked about our relationship to the law. And basically in that one passage of scripture, Paul says the law 27 times. Well in Romans 8, he uses the word spirit 17 times. And he's trying to get us to understand there's something different when the Spirit of God shows up. I like the way Francis Chan says it in his book, Forgotten God. He says this. He says, when we forget the Spirit, we are really forgetting God. Why? Because he's part of who God is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So here's the missing part of our Christianity many times. We know that the penalty of sin has been paid. The power of sin has been broken through the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is ours to access. But if we're going to activate it, we better understand what Paul tells us here in Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, I want you to to turn over there to Romans 8 real quick. And I want us to look at just a few verses today. And I basically want to share with you four things. The message is really designed around four key thoughts. Because here's what I want you to understand. The freedom... From the struggle of our sin comes through our deliverer, Jesus Christ, but the freedom is activated through the Spirit of God. So number one, if you have a pen, write this down. We are free from judgment, or we have freedom from judgment. And what does that mean? It means we don't have any condemnation left. Look what it says in Romans 8, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, here's the part in Scripture I love. Anytime in Scripture you see the word therefore, it means go back and look what you just read. Like, don't just stop there, but he says, therefore, comma. In other words, in light of everything I've just told you over the last two chapters, who's going to deliver me from this body of sin? Jesus Who's going to help me in my struggle? Christ. He's my deliverer. He delivered me from something and to someone. But he didn't stop there. He says, therefore, because these things are true, this is how it becomes real in your life. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you have head knowledge? No. He says, because the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You see, here's the truth. The law can't claim you anymore. The law can't condemn you anymore. And if that's true, the law can't control you anymore. 
Can I get an amen? You see, some of us, we're still trying to live by the law. I want to cross all the T's. I mean, I'm one of those people. I'm like borderline ACD. Excuse me, OCD. And the truth is, I was seeing if some of y'all were awake. Hey, I've never heard of that, man. That boy's ACD. Okay. I'm the type of person I underline in my Bible with a straight line. Some of you are straight liners. Some of you are like, this is God's holy word, okay? I like get out my pen and I'm like, you know, I want to get that thing just right because, man, I love the word of God. And when I, when I read it and when I study it, I'm like, whoa. But the truth is this. It doesn't matter if I make a straight line or a crooked line. The law doesn't condemn me anymore. And it doesn't control me anymore. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, he's my deliverer. The law of the spirit of God is alive in me. There is no more condemnation. There is freedom from judgment. The law doesn't judge me anymore. I'm free from that. The truth is Christ died for us and gave us his righteousness. Therefore, we don't live by the righteousness that's found in the law. It's through Christ. Aren't you glad you have a deliverer? Aren't you glad your neighbor can't deliver you? (laughs) Some of you are like, praise God, okay? The truth is there is no judgment and there is no condemnation. Number two, we are free or we have freedom from defeat. Now this is big in the Christian life because I know a lot of believers and they're like, okay, I get it. There's no condemnation. I don't feel condemned. Okay, I get that. But freedom from defeat means this. I don't have an obligation anymore to my flesh. Remember what I said? That when the power of sin was broken, we no longer had to be slaves to it. I mean, for me, the greatest hope as a believer is to understand I have the capacity that I can offer myself to God and become a slave to God rather than a slave to myself. So there's freedom from defeat. In verse five, Paul says this. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. What does that mean, those who live according to the flesh? Those who have never been born again in Christ. If you've never given your life to Christ today, you're basically dead in your flesh. Talk about that more in a minute. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. You see, today without Jesus, you don't have the spirit of God because the moment that you gave your life to Christ, if you're a Christian, you got the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit came and set up residency in your heart. You say, I didn't know that. No one's ever told me that. Well, that's why you came to Southcrest today, okay? Because we're telling you some good stuff today. The truth is, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He came and made your heart his home. But if you're not a Christian today, the Bible refers to you as being in the flesh. And it's the difference between being in the flesh and being in the spirit. It's the difference between death spiritually and being alive spiritually. The difference in being at war with God and being, have, having peace with God. And that's what Paul's trying to say. He's saying, hey, listen, if you are in Christ, you are free from defeat. Why? Because you're not in the flesh anymore. You have no obligation to it. The Spirit of God has set you free. And here's what I love about that passage. Not only does it explain both, 
But in verse 11, he tells us that we have the spirit of God living inside of us. And look what it says. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give to your mortal bodies life because of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. You see, it's one thing to not be condemned by my flesh, to feel like I'm constantly obligated to it. It's another thing to have freedom from it. I'm free from defeat. I'm no longer obligated to my life before Christ. Yes, the old nature's still there, but the new nature is alive because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The very power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave is inside of you. Hold on, let me say that again. The very power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave is inside of you. Okay, can I, yeah, okay. So that's like being at a football game and someone scores a touchdown and you go, yeah, that's good stuff, man. No, listen, that ought to light your world. That ought to like set you on fire. And here's why, because the spirit, the spirit lives in you. You have the Holy Spirit of God. And because you do, this bad inside of you, this peace inside of you that you wish you never could get rid of, suddenly your freedom comes that you don't have to be defeated by it anymore. I don't have any obligation to my flesh. But not only do you have the Spirit, but here's the part we miss many times. The Spirit has you. You see, we come into God's family through spiritual birth. According to verse 13 of this passage, he tells us that when we yield to the Spirit, he even guides us and leads us, that we can be led by the Spirit of God, which for some of us is an amazing journey in our life, to not live according to just our impulses and our will, but to have something else inside of us that's driving us, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. But something else happens. Not only do we have the Spirit, but the Spirit has us, because in verse 15, listen to this. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. So I want to talk to you about sonship. Okay, today is World Adoption Day, which means across the world, we're celebrating the idea that through adoption, lives are being changed, which I think is a really cool thing. And if you're here today and you're adopted, listen, you're much cooler than me because your parents got to choose you. My parents didn't get to choose me. I mean, I came out and they said, I guess he'll do, okay? <laughs> I mean, I was number five. They're going, ooh, I'm sure I'm tired of this, okay? <laughs> um, the, the truth is, the Bible says that when the Spirit got a hold of you, you were born into God's family through the Spirit. Now listen, here's what's cool. But God didn't leave you there. He suddenly adopted you up to what we call sonship. Now that's a term we don't hear a lot in our culture, we don't talk a lot about sonship. How many of you have an adult son? Raise your hand. Okay. You know, there's something special. I mean, daughters are great and everything, but there's something special about having an adult son because as a male, you look at him and, and you kind of say, man, this is, this is who's going to carry on my, my legacy. And so when Paul here talks about sonship, he says through the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God has you so badly that he doesn't just bring you into God's family. He adopts you into sonship. 
Now, some of you go, I don't really care about that. Well, you will when you hear this. You see, if I'm a baby, I can't speak. I love watching parents talk to their little babies. They go into these alternate voices. Baby's going, I don't know what you're saying. I mean, for most of us as dads, when we have little babies, we're like, please grow so we can communicate. Okay, I can't communicate with you. Like, this is odd. But here's what the Bible says. When we're born into God's family, the spirit of God has us so deeply that he moves us from being a baby to a son. He adopts us into sonship. What does that mean? It means that we can speak to the father in a totally different way. Because in here he says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. That word means Papa. A baby can't look at you and call you dad. But how many of you dads, the first time that you heard your child say, dad, like you freaked out? Okay, like you, you did it like a backflip. Like he said, dad, she said, dad. The moment that your child knows that you're the father, it's like this whole new access begins between you and your child. That's what God did with us through his spirit. He gave us this access through his spirit and he says, you're not just a babe in Christ, but you are now a son. You have sonship. What does that mean? You see, if you have a little baby here today and you brought them in a carrier, there's a real good chance they're not gonna leave here and sign any checks for you. You're not gonna let them go to the store and say, here, baby, baby, swipe my card. Okay, they're not gonna do that. But there's something cool when you can hand your son a check and say, here, sign this. That's what happens to us spiritually. The Bible says the spirit has you and he doesn't stop there. He says he's adopted you into sonship and then he says this, look at verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now that's pretty good because he says you go from being born into the family, you get the spirit, but then the spirit has you, he moves you into sonship, he gives you all the access of a son within the family, and then he says, and you are a co-heir with Christ. I got some swagger. All right. That's some spiritual moxie right there. I mean, I don't go back and begin to live my Christian life like, well, I'm just going to get by. I'm just going to make it to the time that I die. I'm just going to make it until Jesus takes me home. No, 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 no. That the Spirit of God has you, <laughs> you need to be cashing checks on the Father's account. <laughs> You're a co-heir with Christ. Man, the Spirit of God makes all the difference in the world It's the difference between being a slave and being a son. I'm not a slave, I'm a son. Through the Spirit of God, Christ lives in me by the Holy Spirit and I begin to share his life. I mean, that's the second thing, man. We are free from defeat. We don't have any obligation. Number three, we have freedom from discouragement. We have freedom from discouragement. I mean, if Christ is in us and the penalty's been paid and the power's been broken, Jesus is my deliverer and I do all this through the Holy Spirit, then I have freedom from discouragement. There's no more frustration that I have to live my life by. But here's the problem. 
We live in a world that's still sin-fallen. Have you ever thought about how much the world groans? Verse 18 here, he starts talking about how the world groans, creation's groaning. I mean, look around, I mean, we got, we got places in Hawaii that used to be plush and now they're full of volcano ash. I mean, the world is groaning. You say something's happening. Yes, something's happening in the world. We live in a world that's so sin-fallen that the, the longer and the closer we get to the return of Christ, we're going to continue to groan, and the world is going to continue to groan. In fact, in verse 23, he tells us that as believers, we're groaning because we're awaiting our final, our final spot in heaven. God's not done yet. We've been justified by Christ. His righteousness is upon us, but we haven't been glorified yet. We're in sanctification process, but we're not home. And so he starts talking about all this groaning, and here's what happens to Christians. They know the Holy Spirit of God lives in. They know the power is there. But they don't understand the process of this groaning. Verse 18, you know this passage is quoted a lot. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I hear people, they go through suffering and they're like, man... I quote that verse because I know that whatever I'm going through, like God's going God's to get the glory in it. Well, what does all that mean? Here's the problem. Our groans are leading to God's glory. But we want glory without the groaning. Okay? For some of you that are a little bit more simple, let me say it this way. We want Jesus to take the wheel. We just don't want him to touch the GPS. You get me? Go ahead, Jesus, take the wheel. Just don't touch the GPS. The groaning is leading to greater glory. He goes on down and he says, in the midst of the groaning, the Holy Spirit is praying for you and I. Not only is he with us, not only is he in us, not only does he have us, but he says he's beside us and he's praying for us. Verse 26, he says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. How many of you feel different when you know someone's praying for you? All right? And how many of you have those friends that always say, I'll pray for you, and you know they don't? Raise your hand. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's, yeah, it's like, it's like saying thank you here in the South. I'm going to pray for you. Really? I mean, sometimes I just want to dial someone's number at 5 a.m. and say, have you prayed for me yet? Because I'm not feeling it. Like, I'm having a really bad, horrible, no good day here, and I'm not feeling your prayers. I mean, what if we were that honest with each other? The Holy Spirit, he's praying for us with groans that words cannot express. Not only is he in us, not only is he activating us, not only is he able to break the bad in us, but he's interceding for us. He's standing before the throne of the Father and he's calling out your name as a believer in Jesus. And he's saying, I know what she's going through. I can sense the groans. I understand the struggle and the strife and the strain. And you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is praying for you. But this is where it even gets better. Because we all know Romans eight twenty eight, right? All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. We quote that. I mean, some of you got that tattooed on your left bicep. 
okay? <laughs> Emphasizing a word, okay. Um, the truth is, when we understand that all of the groaning and all the struggle that we're going through is not so that we face the defeat, it's so that God's glory becomes more revealed than we truly understand Romans eight twenty eight. Because here's how I've read that verse many, many times. God, I thank you that you're working out your plan in my life and that all things work together for the good of those who love you. Here's the part I've never understood until today. If God's glory is as good as it says it is, then God's glory is our good. God's glory is our good. The Holy Spirit prays for us. The groans are leading to greater glory. But then he says, hey, listen, it's not just about that. He says, I'm bringing about a plan and a purpose in your life because all things work, to go, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Some of you are in the midst of a deep season of drought. I mean, you're hanging on by the thread of a thread of a thread, and you're like, God, I, I, I don't know why I'm going through all this. I'm going through a nasty relationship deal here. I'm going through a nasty season of my life and my, listen, if the spirit of God lives inside of you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not alone, you're being prayed for, but God's working out his plan because his glory is our good. You see, I've had my glory before. I've had what I thought was my glory. It just didn't turn out very well. It didn't seem to satisfy. But every time I get a glimpse of God's glory, I never walk away defeated. I never walk away defeated. Number four, freedom from fear. No separation. The Bible's very clear here that through the spirit of God that we don't have to be living in fear. Because I will say this, most Christians, they live most of their lives in fear. What if God judges me? What if this person finds out that I'm a fake? What if this, what if that? Listen, there is no fear. There's freedom from fear when you're in Christ and the Holy Spirit is in you. There's no frustration because you're sharing in God's glory, but there's no fear because we experience the love of God through Christ. So I wanna tell you real quick, if you have a pen, write this down. God is for us, verse 31. Christ died for us, verse 32. God has justified us, verse 33. Christ intercedes for us, verse 34. And Christ loves us, verse 35. You see, Paul wanted to make it very clear that Jesus was the one, that Jesus was the one who frees us from fear. There is no separation. In verse 37, he says this. He says, no, in all these things. So there's that comma again. He's saying, go back because of all this stuff. Because the spirit has you. You have the spirit. Christ is your deliverer. The power of sin is broken. The penalty of sin is paid for. He says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor taxes. I'm sorry, it doesn't say that. Neither depths nor heights, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He uses this term. He says, we are more than conquerors. That means we are super conquerors. 
Years ago, there was a company that started, they bought a little swoosh ad for $35 from a lady. We know them as Nike. The word Nike comes from the Greek that we get this word conqueror. And it means that we don't just win the game. It means we have authority over the opponent. We are more than conquerors. You see, in my struggle with sin, and my struggle in my own life spiritually, I get tired. Some of you are that way. I get my eyes on the wrong things. I take my eyes off of Jesus. I put my eyes on my self-performance. And suddenly I start living in a cycle of defeat. But Paul here says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Some of you say, well, I've been through a nasty divorce. Nothing. Well, I lost my job because I, I did some wrong things. Listen, nothing. Well, well I struggle with this, this sin. I'm still, I got this one area of my life that I'm still, listen, nothing. You didn't do anything to get it, so you can't do anything to lose it. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. So here's where this leaves us today. A very powerful statement. You know what all this means? We have the freedom to choose. We have the freedom to choose. You see, some of you in this room, you say, I don't believe in free will. You know, I'm kind of of the mindset that things just happen. Listen, you need to turn off Final Destination 20 and open God's Word and read about some real theology. <laughs> okay? I'm not a fatalist. I'm a realist, and I believe in the Word of God, and I believe the Word of God tells me that if all these things are true, it leaves you and I with a powerful decision to make. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, there was a man by the name of William James. He was a leading psychologist whose dad was a theologian. And he was studying the theology, or not the theology, the psychology of decision-making processes, habits. And here's what he found. He said, in, in the midst of all the things that I know can change a person's life through habits, there's one piece of this that seems to be the thing that drives everything else. And he said, it comes back to this one thing. The power to choose is found in one word, belief. They've studied it psychologically. They've looked at it sociologically. And they've said that when a, curse, a person comes back to the realization and says, I choose to believe that this is true. And when I activate and I begin to live in what I know is true, the power to change happens. I mean, that's psychology that says that. Well, long before William James... Paul told us this right here. All of the bad we experience in our life, the breaking bad, the piece of us we wish that no one saw because it disgusts us and it disgusts them. The power over all that is the power in one choice. Do you believe what God says is true? Do you believe that Christ can break the bad? 
You see, who you believe is telling you the truth is a big decision you'll make in life. Do you believe yourself? Do you believe the world? Or do you believe God? Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. And Lord, I know that the power and the victory is not in my own self-discovery. Lord, it's not even in my ability to try to choose. But just like when Jesus walked in and he looked at those disciples and he said, who do you say that I am? And they looked back at you and they said, we say you're Jesus. We say you're the Messiah. Lord, there are people in this room today that have been wrecked by patterns and habits of a sin nature that Jesus, you came and died for. I mean, you came to not only pay the penalty of it so that we wouldn't have to pay the wages of our sin, but you came and through your death on the cross, you broke the power of it. And today, Lord, you're reminding us that all of this, the access point, the place that we begin to activate this in our life is through the Holy Spirit of God. We are free from fear. We're free from frustration. We're free from condemnation. We are no longer obligated to our flesh. And so, Lord, today, over these next few moments, Jesus, I pray that you would break the chain. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I want to ask you a very honest question. You know, early in the message, I mentioned that today, if you're not in Christ, which means you've never entered into a real relationship with Jesus, you're still trying to pay the penalty of your sin, and you're still trying to overcome power over the sin nature that exists in your life and you're frustrated and you're beat up and you're torn and you're battered. And I wanna tell you that Jesus died on a cross to set you free of that. Jesus died on the cross to set you free. And he's waiting for you to choose him because when you choose him, then you begin to understand what this whole Christian life is all about. But until you do that, there is no power. So today, if you're here and you've never made that decision, I wanna give you that opportunity right now. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed at both of our campuses, if today you wanna accept Jesus into your life as Lord and a savior, would you pray this prayer with me? Just say, dear God, thank you for bringing me here today. And I thank you that Jesus loved me enough to die for me on the cross. That on the third day, he rose from the grave Father, I invite Jesus to come into my life to be Lord, to be Savior, and to change me from the inside out. Jesus, I give you the control of my life. I pray that you would take charge. And today I want you to not only forgive my sin, but to break my bad. Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to save me. Listen, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed at both of our campuses today, if today for the very first time you made that decision and you trusted Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, I just want you to slip up your hand. Just hold it up high. Both of our campuses today, all over these rooms, all over these auditoriums, if today you gave your life to Christ, you prayed and you acknowledged Him as the Lord and Savior of your life for the very first time, would you just hold up your hand? I'm telling you, God's gonna set some people free today. Jesus paid for it 2,000 years ago. It's time for you to unwrap the gift.
But there's, a, there's another crowd I want to talk to today. And they're believers. They're Christians. You know, as well as I know, that the struggle with your sin nature usually goes back to one or two things in your heart. I believe it goes back to this one key thing. Because Jesus came and paid the penalty and broke the power, you now have the freedom to choose God over your sin. The key is this. Do you believe he can? Do you believe that Jesus can break the chain? You say, well, I don't know. I've been to all these self-help groups. I've talked to all these counselors. Listen, that's all great. But the truth is, until you believe that God is the one who delivers you, you can't be delivered. The word salvation means delivered. I'm delivered from something to someone. And today I want to invite you to respond to Jesus by saying, Jesus, I realize and I believe today that you're the only one that can truly set me free.